This is the Nothing But Bucks podcast. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Tough Sunday in Baltimore. A Ravens win over our Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 20-12 the final. As the Buccaneers season nears an end here in December, we are ready to recap the game. Have some conversation about where the Buccaneers try to go from here with two weeks remaining. And also reminisce with a special guest coming up. It is nothing but Bucks. I am your humble host. And I finally have dried out a little bit. It was a rainy, cold Sunday afternoon in Baltimore. We knew in December when looking at the schedule even weeks ago that this one could be a nasty game in terms of weather. Thankfully, it was not below freezing. Uh, Also, no snow to deal with, although I'm not so sure that snow wouldn't have been more preferable uh, to the wet stuff that was coming down. At times, it came down hard in the first half, cold raindrops, but a lot of it was just... Uh, the mist, if you were watching the game on TV, it was it was more wet, more damp, uh, a lot of it in the cold. It, it was interesting as the game wore on, even with the Ravens winning and in playoff contention, that M&T Bank Stadium began to empty out, even from Ravens fans. In the third quarter, in, in the early fourth quarter, you're looking up and it's a one-score game and the stadium is half full. I think everybody, even in Baltimore, wanted to go try to get warm in the concourse or in a suite or somewhere, get back in their car, get warm back up catch the end of the game on the radio or on the TV if they could get to a a television, etc. there in downtown Baltimore. It was just that kind of day. And look, Bucks battled hard. Same same theme really over the last month or so where the defense has played much improved. The first halves have gone well, but then for whatever reason in the second half, in terms of the offense, the output is just not there. You only got three points yesterday uh, in the second half of what was a winnable game, a game that was a one-score game basically the entire way. That's going to be one of the themes here on Nothing But Bucks. So again, we'll, we'll go over the highlights. We'll hear interviews. Jameis Winston uh, at quarterback for this team. Uh, able to make some plays, especially a long one to Mike Evans that you'll hear the highlight of a little bit later on uh, here when we get to the highlights, but not able to make enough plays. And he once again uh, joined us after a game was over with and saying, hey, we didn't do enough offensively. I think that's one of the themes coming away. We'll get a chance to talk and hear from our Hooters postgame coverage from Riley Bulla. A young linebacker in his second season, got a lot of playing time, pressed into duty because of injuries and because of a situation involving a Darius uh, Taylor, who is uh, awaiting the birth of his first child. And Adarius ended up not being at the game, not being available for the Bucks. So Riley Bulla stepped in and had to battle against Lamar Jackson, the outstanding rookie quarterback of the uh, of the Ravens on Sunday. So we'll get his thoughts on that, and we'll hear from the head coach, Dirk Cutter, as well. And then special guest uh, will join me here on Nothing But Bucks. Let's catch up with Chris Hovan, former Buccaneer defensive tackle for six seasons, played 11 total years in the NFL, began his career with Minnesota, but played here for the Buccaneers 2005 to 2009. Love his uh, insight, reminiscing. Uh, it's very interesting, and he'll he'll talk about the story. Hovan's first game as a Buccaneer was against his old team in the old stomping ground in the old Metrodome in Minnesota, so we'll reminisce about that story. It ended up being a Buccaneer win. Chris, also a link to the last time the Bucs were in the playoffs. I want to talk to him about that and the optimism for the future. And look, that's one of the things that I'm going to say here on the podcast. I inject some, uh, some opinion from time to time. I-, I know things are down for another season uh, here at the end, but there is hope. You can be better. You can be better quickly. You look at what the Rams were dramatically able to do uh, a year ago uh, and turn things around from being one of the worst teams in the NFL to suddenly being one of the best and being 
a playoff team. Look at the Bears this season that have now clinched the NFC North with their win over Green Bay on Sunday. Uh, They have been languishing. They have been struggling, losing a bunch of games for seasons. And in one year, it turns completely around for them uh, as well. So, uh, example, at Jacksonville a year ago, same thing, almost like a lightning bolt. I know the Jags, the Jags have gone way south again this year, uh, played poor football down the stretch of this season. It's a bad year for them, but they were dramatically better from one year to the next last year in, in making the playoffs. So look at the Indianapolis Colts, a lost 2017 without Andrew Luck able to play at all. New coach in Frank Wright comes in. Luck is back in there and the Colts shut out the Cowboys yesterday and are right in the thick of the playoff race. The encouragement, Buck fans, is you can be better in this league from one year to the next, and there are, there are examples all over the NFL of it happening, and let's hope, hang on to the hope that it can happen here for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2019. That's more of a big-picture 2019 thing, but as we come to the end of 2018, the games are winding down, and the Bucs officially eliminated from the playoffs after yesterday's loss, so you've got to look towards the future and what's going to happen in 2019 and have hope for that future. All right, so let's get back to what happened specifically for the game in Baltimore, M&T Bank Stadium. Again, 40-degree temperatures, low 40s, felt colder than that. I can testify, being down on the sideline, rain throughout the early part of the game uh, obviously would affect the field. Natural grass field, a little more slick on that field, hard to handle the ball. But look, the Bucks got off to another good start, and, and this time, actually, it was their defense that helped create something and it was the homestanding Ravens that had problems with the conditions in the wet ball, including the rookie quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Here's the snap out of Fumble football in the back. Diving for it. The Bucks come up with the football. Fumble football by Lamar Jackson and Johnny on the spot. The Buccaneers get the fumble recovery. Levante David. Now Levante David falls on that fumble. Johnny on the spot there at the... Uh, Baltimore 49-yard line, so a great fumble recovery, which for Levante now is his 13th career fumble recovery. That puts him in first place all-time in Buccaneer history, surpassing Rondé Barber. Uh, Levante David also has the most fumble recoveries since 2013 in the entire NFL. He's one of the best linebackers at helping take the ball away. He was Johnny on the spot right there for that fumble recovery. And the Bucs would then move into scoring position. A lot of it, powerful running by Peyton Barber as they would go those final 51 yards, a lot of it on the ground. And Barber would fittingly be the guy to finish the drive off. Wester is the uh, tight end eligible. Hand off to Barber. Slashes his way to the goal line. Is he in, Mr. Ref? It's a touchdown, Tampa Bay. Buccaneers lead 6-0 early. That one from three yards out, second and third effort. It was an eight-play, 51-yard drive, and it's a 6 nothing game. The snap on the extra point, a little high for Brian Anger to be able to handle wet ball. Couldn't come up with it. Uh, a nice play, though, as the Ravens on a live ball could have run it in for two points. Anthony Auclair hustling on special teams makes a tackle near midfield that if he doesn't get there and make the tackle, it's potentially a 6-2 game. Instead, it remains 6-0 at that point in the contest. And then the Ravens go back on offense. And and Baltimore did not waste a lot of time. They put together a drive of their own. Time-consuming, 16-play, 73-yard drive, some of it with Lamar Jackson with his feet. Uh, able to scramble on a third down, uh, completed another third down pass as well. They move into scoring position to the Ravens and eventually get in the end zone for the first time here. Pistol formation now. And a into round run to the right side. Bucks cannot make the tackle. Touchdown, Baltimore Ravens. 
Chris Moore on the end around. The jet sweep pays dividends for the Ravens. And it's tie ball game at 6-6. That's receiver Chris Moore taking the little flip pass on the jet sweep as he ran in around the right end, got in front of Levante David, got to the corner of the end zone, and the Ravens took the lead with the Justin Tucker extra point to lead 7-6 to six at that point. So, uh, you know, again, at this stage of the game, you're in the final four minutes of the first half. Could the Bucks make something happen? They would make something happen. On a rainy, cold day, Jameis Winston on a bit of a scramble, a broken play, would look upfield for a long opportunity here. He takes the snap, four-man rush. Pressured out of the pocket, flushed out of the pocket, rolls to his left, still rolling, still rolling, throws the ball downfield. He's got Evans, Evans to the 40, he makes the catch at the 30. Uh, stays in bounds to the 20, a flag is thrown, maybe a face pass. And the Buccaneers get a huge conversion on third down and forever. And Winston buys time, jogging to his left and hits Mike Evans on the run. Yeah, one of the best plays of the day, a 64-yard completion to Mike Evans, and it included the personal foul at the end for the face mask to set the Bucks up inside of the five-yard line. Eventually, not able, though, or actually inside the 10-yard line, not able to convert with six. Would have loved to have had six there after the long pass. Instead, it's a Cairo Santos field goal to make the game 9-7. And so the Buccaneers had the lead. And then, look, credit the Ravens, too. The, the Buck defense tried to hold them down, but Lamar Jackson made a couple of plays in the final two-minute drill, uh, again with his wheels, also with a completion to... Uh, to Willie Sneed uh, that was a big one on third down. They get into field goal range and elect to take the kick. The Bucks' defense stiffens up in the final 30 seconds, and the Ravens elect to take the field goal from Justin Tucker and take the lead to halftime at 10-9 in, in, uh, in this one at home. So an opportunity to reload at halftime. We knew Baltimore would be getting the ball to start the second half of this game. I spoke with Coach Dirk Cutter coming out of the locker room and said to him, what did you like about that first half? He said, I like the way that Peyton Barber was running the ball and finishing off with the runs. It's going to help our play-action pass and help what we're trying to do in the second half. And I said, what needs to be better against Lamar Jackson, the defense? He said, we've got to tackle better. We've got to maintain the uh, the discipline and the gap control and be able to get him on the ground. And he knew that with the opening drive for the Ravens to start the third quarter, it was going to be a challenge to do just that. And it turned out that that was the case. Baltimore took that uh, opening kickoff and marched 78 yards on their first drive. Again, using the read option, using the misdirection. Uh, you'll hear some about that as this uh, as the interviews progress with Riley Bulla later on here on Nothing But Bucks and Dirk Cutter, the head coach, uh, with us in his postgame interview, and as well as Chris Hovan, our special guest at the end here about what that misdirection can do, the read option, having to hold the defensive ends in. you got to stay in your lane, stay in your gap. Bucks had trouble with that, and eventually, as the Ravens moved into scoring position, their rookie running back cashed it in. The snap and a handoff, and Edwards again inside the five. Touchdown, Baltimore Ravens. Just like that, an opening drive of the second half, and the Ravens go 78 yards. And a handful of plays, and a 10-yard touchdown run by Gus Edwards. 100-yard day for Gus Edwards. And, and, you know, look, Baltimore has changed their dynamic. Edwards with 104 yards rushing. Uh, Lamar Jackson on the day did have over 100 yards rushing until the very end of the game. Had like 103 yards rushing. At the end of the game, he knelt down three times, which all counts uh, as, as lost yardage. So that put him under 100 yards for the game. I believe it's something like 96 or 95 yards total for the game. But the Ravens ran for over 200 yards in this contest. They've become much more of a run-oriented team. 
and the end result is they are they are succeeding offensively in a different way. Not the drop back passing of Joe Flacco and the vertical passing game, but Jackson using his wheels uh, as he becomes the first quarterback in the history of the NFL in his first five starts to have 70 yards or more rushing in all of them. Five straight games, 70 yards or more for a quarterback running the ball in his first five games. So They've changed to about a 60 to 65% run-oriented team, and they ran it a bunch and consumed the clock throughout this game. That would be one of the themes. All right, so the Bucs uh, were trying to get back in it, down 17-9, to and actually the Ravens got a stop on the Buccaneer offense near, near midfield, but then a big special teams moment switched the momentum in the third quarter. In the punt, Brian Anger end over end, mortar punt is not very good at all. It's going to hit and take a Buccaneer bounce. It's going to be fumble. Bucks time on the ball. Buccaneers have the ball. What a gift. It's Christmas time in Baltimore, Maryland. Wrap that thing up with a ribbon and give it to the Bucks under the tree. My goodness. Yeah, great job on the fumble recovery after the muffed punt. Uh, again, for the Ravens, why are you messing with that? Once the ball hits the ground, just get away from it. But instead, Buccaneers will take it. Johnny on the spot was Josh Shaw to come up with the football. So that fumble recovery would set up an opportunity to get a touchdown because you're inside the 20-yard line, actually in and around the 15-yard line or so. Uh, but the, the Bucks not able uh, to get six. And, you know, for a moment you were wondering, okay, they could still get a first down. It was a fourth and about two or two and a half. They elected, no, we're going to take the points. Weren't successful on third down with Jameis Winston throwing incomplete. So we're going to go ahead and take the points with Cairo Santos and uh, and make this once again an opportunity at uh, 17 to 12 if you make the field goal where a touchdown will win you the game uh, in the end again if you look a whole fourth quarter to play but down 17 to 9 if you don't get any points there you've got to have a touchdown and a two just to tie the game with points at a premium so here you're kicking the field goal with the idea that a touchdown would now win the game if you hold baltimore and you get the touchdown you're going to go win the game uh, in the fourth quarter of this one so there was the field goal, and that made the game 17-12. Baltimore again got the ball back. They were able to run uh, successfully. Lamar Jackson using the, the read option again. Uh, Edwards, Kenneth Dixon running the football well for Baltimore. They move into scoring range, and eventually Justin Tucker, one of the most automatic kickers in the NFL, pushed the lead back to eight with his second field goal of the day. That one from 35 yards out and the game at 20 to 12. So now you're in that situation that I was talking about where you need a touchdown again. And in this instance, you're down by eight points looking to tie. Buccaneers march into the Ravens side of the field and have an opportunity to go get that touchdown with about eight minutes remaining. But then on third and short, unable to get the first down running the ball with Peyton Barber. So that brought up a critical fourth down. Uh, Coach Dirk Cutter just said, hey, I, we, we have to go for this here with seven minutes left. We're not going to play field position. We're not going to try to kick a long field goal in the wet conditions to get back within five. We're going for it. The Bucks called timeout. They came out of the timeout, and here was that play. In motion, Godwin shifts back to the right. Shotgun formation. Winston awaits the snap, kicks his leg. Here is the snap, a good one. Has protection. Looks up, Phil. It is incomplete at the 30-yard line, and the Buccaneers will turn the ball over on downs. Winston's pass incomplete for Chris Godwin, and the Bucs turn the ball over as Gene Deckerhoff there with the call on Buccaneers radio. 
Uh, turn it over on downs to the Ravens, and uh, down by eight, you knew it was going to be tough. It got even tougher because the Bucks were low on timeouts. Jackson got a first down scrambling. They got another first down running. They basically forced the Bucks to use their timeouts in the two-minute warning, and then when they got the final first down at the two-minute warning, it was three kneel downs, and the game was done. So a huge win for Baltimore, keeping their AFC wildcard hopes alive at eight, eight and six. So they're now still in a three-way tie for the AFC's final wildcard spot. The loss officially eliminates the Bucks from any playoff hopes or contention for this season at five and nine with two games remaining as they go down to defeat on the road. So that's the way that this one finished up on an overcast, damp, cold day in Baltimore. Ravens win it 20 to 12. And we went into the locker room when it was done and got the chance to speak with a couple of players and the head coach. Let's start first with the conversation on the Hooters postgame show on Buccaneers Radio with Jameis Winston. This was hard fought uh, throughout the day. Uh, do you just credit Baltimore here in the end on this one? Do they make more plays in this game, Jameis? Uh, no, we can't turn the ball over on the outside of the field. Um, we got to execute better as an offense. Uh, they did they did a great job on defense, but we got to uh, do better for our defense. You were able to run the ball pretty effectively throughout the game with Peyton Barber. What was working well with the run game to give you an opportunity to get back in this game? Uh, offensive line just was dominating. Uh, they were doing a good job. And uh, Peyton did a great, great job finding creases and uh, hitting them. On the fourth down play with about seven minutes to go, you're trying to find Chris Godwin. Is he the primary guy or is he just one of the options on that play that you were looking for? Uh, he's one, one of the options. Uh, and they got covered it pretty good and made a good play on the ball. You know, uh, for this football team, you had opportunities here in a one-score game to be able to get it done. Again, the Ravens with their defense, do we just uh, pin this on that they were able to put the game away, especially in the fourth quarter? Uh, you know, we just got to execute better. Um, they have a great defense, uh, but we have a great offense, too. Um, we got to make plays when uh, they're there. Jameis's stats, 13 of 25 throwing for 157 yards. He did have a fourth-quarter interception in this game, underthrowing Mike Evans a little bit uh, on a route that they were trying to get. Evans was double-teamed in any event on the play. Uh, and again, for the offense, only three points in the second half. Uh, of this game, not enough, not enough to be able to come back and to overcome what this team uh, was looking to do. Lamar Jackson, again, very successful with uh, key throws at certain times, 14 of 23, 131 yards for him on the day. Jackson also officially credited uh, in terms of running the football uh, for the game as well with 95 yards officially on the ground. Uh, in the game and so uh, the bottom line on 18 carries those 95 yards did have a 22 yard run in the game had five yards per carry his combined offense ends up being between the rushing and passing yards 226 yards did enough again they ran for over 200 yards in the game that's the first time the Bucks had allowed 200 yards rushing it was tough to contain the run game and contain Lamar Jackson second year player Riley Bulla joined me on our Hooters postgame sh- uh, coverage here is that conversation after it was done this defense did some things well today to hang into the game. What did you do well in this football game? Well, first, you know, I think we played with energy. You know, we were out there. We were, we were flying around trying to make plays. Um, but, you know, just got to stay consistent throughout the whole game. We had a couple of those runs leak through. Um, you know, we'll see the film, look at it, and, and try to get better. Battling against Lamar Jackson, he, he may very well be the fastest quarterback in the NFL. What was it like trying to contain him, especially with the read option? Yeah, you know, it's tough. It's just, you know, an added responsibility in the run game. you got to account for the quarterback. Um, so it's a little bit different run fits than, than you're normally used to. 
Um, and like you said, he's fast. So even if you do have him, um, you know, covered up, you know, he can just take it and outrun you. So, you know, it's tough. Um, we got to get better. You were able to make some plays. You actually had a couple of big momentum plays. The fumble on the punt by them leads to an opportunity. You guys also got a big sack, a Carl Nassib play. I mean, you were able to make some plays and give yourselves a chance in the second half. What, if anything, was being said about battling in a one-score game? Well, you know, in the NFL, basically every week it's, it's a one-score game. So you just got to play till the end. Um, and, you know, we just got to capitalize when we get those big plays. Um, you know, for me, I feel like I left one out there with that interception, so I want to have that one back. Um, but, you know, the key is just keep fighting the whole game and, and try to come up with the W. I know you're a guy that's used to playing in the Big Ten and in bad weather. How much uh, the conditions, the wet ball, the wet field, was it a factor for you at all? Other than that interception I dropped, um, you know, it really wasn't. You know, I love playing in this kind of weather. Uh, be more of the offensive guys that, you know, struggle in this. But, you know, even with – even with the weather, I think the offense did a great job, you know, catching the ball um, in these conditions. And finally, you know, for this team, the battle, the heart was still there in the second half, in the fourth quarter of this game, trying to hang in. Just say something about that, the attitude and the effort. Yeah, you know, we pride ourselves on, you know, no matter if we're winning, losing, playing with heart, playing with intensity, playing tough, tough-nosed football. Um, that's who we are, and that's the kind of football team that we want to be and we're going to continue to be. Yep, just tough to contain those guys. And again, we didn't have the highlight of Carl Nassib, who played very well, got credited officially with one sack, had another play where Lamar Jackson was intentional in grounding it on another sack. Buck defensive line, whether you're, t- and we'll talk more about Vita Vea in a little bit with Chris Hovan, who played defensive tackle for the Bucks, and I'll get his analysis on what he sees out of Vita Vea. Vea with a career high nine combined tackles in this game, uh, making a lot of plays in the run game in particular down the line of scrimmage, definitely showing some progress. Gerald McCoy getting in there for a couple of stops uh, as well. The Buccaneers at times defensively held their own here, held in, just did not get enough from the offense in this game. And a guy that knows that and a guy that talked about that with me afterwards is head coach Dirk Cutter as he joined us in our postgame coverage. Hard-fought football game, just as an overall thought. What did it come down to? What did Baltimore do a little better, especially in the second half? Well, they, they held on to the ball, and we didn't – you know, we, we had chances to score. We, we had one of our goals on offense this week was 21 or more points. And you can see, you know, our defense held them to 20. So 21 – uh, you know, we were one out of three in the red zone. We got down there enough times, but we couldn't get it in. And then Baltimore's the hottest running team in the league. So our defense was on the field too much in the second half. That allowed them to get close to 37 minutes time of possession. And, you know, we just, that's going to wear any defense down. You did get a break with the fumbled punt. You're able to pounce on it with Josh Shaw. You got inside the five-yard line. You were not able to get in. Did you think, I know it's the third quarter, but did you think for a second there about going ahead and trying to go for it because you could have still also had a first down potentially as well as a potential touchdown? Uh, not really because, of, you know, with that much time left in the third quarter. And, you know, I'm never expecting our offense to have that little production. I mean, I'm always thinking our offense is going to be able to score multiple times. And so, you know, I, I didn't think about it at that time, no. Lamar Jackson, we saw him obviously be able to make some plays in the second half. I know you've not seen coaches film. Were they doing anything different with the misdirection or the read option in the second half that you could tell? Well, they've they've got a they've got a lot of different variations off and and the, the misdirection. If anything, I'd say they probably did less misdirection today than I'd seen them doing on tape. Uh, 
you know, again, I think more than anything else, we, we just wore down and, and we, I thought we tackled very well in the first half and we just didn't tackle as well the second half. Another critical play. You were down by a touchdown. You went ahead to go for it on fourth down. We were just talking to Jameis Winston a little while ago. Take us through that play where he's trying to find Chris Godwin on that and what you're looking for, if you would. Well, I think the bigger play was the play before that when we had we had third and one and we knew we were going to go for it if we didn't get it on fourth down and on third and one uh, we had a basic short yardage play up and and uh, we had a couple mental errors and there's just no way in heck that that uh, we should lose yardage on that play with the play that we had up you know we had like I said we had a couple mental errors and uh, we had a free hitter so then we had we went for it on the fourth and medium we had a three-man combination on one side a two-man combination on another side and uh, you know, Jameis had to, had to decide which side he was working on, and I, th I thought he threw a pretty good ball, but the coverage was tight. And, and in that same vein, Baltimore obviously played well defensively for a lot of this game. Do you give the Ravens a lot of credit for being able to put it away and hold you in the second half down uh, without a touchdown? There's no doubt about the Ravens' defense. They have a good defense. Uh, you know, I think, I think the disappointing part on our offense was in the first half, you know, that we had the drops early in the game. I just don't think Jameis could have thrown the ball much better than he did in the in the first half, and then in the second half we just didn't sustain. And so, of course, you're going to give credit to the Ravens. They do they do have a good defense, but you know when you lose a game, you're always going to look at the things your team didn't do more so than the other, and that's that's not to take anything away from them. Again, tough deal for the Bucks as uh, they fall 20 to 12. Uh, tough days. Uh, to go and try to win on the road anytime, but especially in December when it's all on the line in the NFL and the bad conditions and the Ravens end up victorious, uh, they're by eight and keep their playoff hopes alive. So there you go with everything that happened on Sunday. A couple of other footnotes. Congrats to Mike Evans with another 100-yard game for him. He now has the most, or he's within range now, of the most receiving yards in a single season for his career. And I know the Pro Bowl balloting will be coming out on Tuesday night. Here's hoping that number 13 gets a nod for the Pro Bowl balloting. That was his sixth 100-yard game of the season. Caught the long one from Jameis Winston there in the first half. Had a couple of other other uh, key catches. Um, look, I, I know that Mike would trade the yards and the stats for wins. So would Winston. So would Levante David. So would any of those guys in that locker room. But right now, Evans has played well throughout this season. Has played at a very high level throughout this season. And I, we have to believe Jason Pierre-Paul is going to be one of the Buccaneers to be recognized on the Pro Bowl list. Let's hope that number 13, Mike Evans, still with two games to go, has a chance at a 1,500-yard receiving season. Gets that recognition, too, for the way that he has played uh, this year. And again, the Buccaneers able to get a couple of takeaways in this game. Uh, you know, it had been so long and so dry for a while without takeaways on defense and special teams, but the Bucks still making things happen and taking the ball away a couple of more times. You now total it up uh, over the course of the last four games. The Buccaneers now with 12 takeaways in those four games. So uh, averaging right at about three a game, getting back in line uh, with the league average, et cetera. And clearly the defensive line and the pressure much better as the second half of the season has gone on for this team. So speaking of the defensive line and the pressure, let's bring on a special guest who you will recognize his voice and recognize some of the accolades of his playing career and catch up with him right now on Nothing But Bucks. As advertised, whenever I can enlist great help, I look to do so. This man played 11 years in the National Football League, six with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Love me some Chris Hovan to help talk all things Buccaneers, the holidays, the family, 
Uh, is your house crazy like my house, by the way, right now with uh, with Santa nearby and the holiday time and the shopping and the food? How are things, brother? No, things are great. It's great to hear your voice, man. Uh, yeah, the whole Santa and the elf on the shelf, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it seems like, you know, when you're putting away decorations for Halloween, then you're putting them up for Thanksgiving, and then you're taking those down for Thanksgiving, and then you're putting Christmas up. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's a great cycle when you have a, a healthy, beautiful family to be around. Yeah. I love that about you. Chris and I, by the way, we'll share this again a little later in the conversation. We have something common. We have twin girls. Uh, so we got to <laughs> oh, talk man, some about no. that. Uh, we'll have fun with that. All right. So the Bucks suffer a tough loss in Baltimore in the rain and the cold. We have returned from that. It was a hard fought game. You know, uh, you can kind of relate to Lamar Jackson uh, running around the way that he did because when you played in the day with the Vikings and the Buccaneers, you were constantly going against a guy named Michael Vick. I know Jackson is not left-handed. He's right-handed, but he's a similar style of quarterback in that with the read option and the ability to run, he's elusive. What did you see yesterday out of that young man and the Bucks trying to contain him and tackling him? Oh, really, what I saw is what he did so long in college. You know, Tony Lynn, the president. Um, that's why he was a first-round draft pick. And it's a different demon when you go against an individual such as him because, like you <clears throat> conveyed earlier with Michael Vick, uh, they're very dangerous. I don't think he's got the arm strength of Michael Vick, but what he does do, he, he goes out there and makes plays. And it seems like it's a year of the rookie quarterback because all these rookies are doing great, even the second-year guys in Patrick Mahomes. So, um, what he does is he brings a different element to the game. And it's an element that not, not a lot of NFL teams see with the RPO. It's usually more in college, as you realize. Um, but what he does is uh, also he, he, he does a great job of managing the game, too. So, you know, really what I saw yesterday was Baltimore playing the old Bucks ball where they play great defense and they're in the clock. So, uh, hats off to Baltimore and hats off to that quarterback. He's going to be a really good player. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point about the you know the back in the day when the when the Bucks would play that way and would grind the clock with Dunn and Allstott and that kind of thing. You went against those guys as well when you played uh, in Minnesota. Hey, and and say this too, um, Baltimore has changed their offensive philosophy to suit Jackson and that misdirection stuff, Chris, with guys coming on the on the jet sweep in motion. Uh, the read option goes one way, he goes the other way how challenging is that for a defender when you're not sure on the misdirection is this guy going to get flipped the ball like on the touchdown in the first half are they going to you know play action to him and he drops back to throw it, it is a different dynamic than what you see all the time in the nfl right you know you know you hit the nail on the head you said misdirection and uh you know it, it has to go back to fundamentals of defense you know assignment alignment and play ball and it, it it's it's easier for the guys up front because they either get a reach block or a base block. You know, they have their assignments down. Um, but when you get into the back end, uh, that's when it gets a little bit tricky. Uh, linebackers um, having to shift and defensive backs, you know, whether you're playing man or zone. And, um, you know, like I said, with Mar Jackson, it's a different type of demon. It's a different, different type of offense. Instead of going against Joe Flacco, you know, we know what, you know what you're going to get. They're going to run the ball. Um, they're going to play action. But he's going to sit in the pocket. Not necessarily with uh, with Lamar, and uh, you know credit to the whole uh, Ravens offense organization staff for for implement, implementing that offense so that he could go out there and succeed. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, I want to ask you specifically about Vita Vea. You were a former number one pick as a defensive tackle out of Boston College. Vea, obviously the number one pick of the Bucks, has really begun begun to come on here as of late. Had his uh, season high in tackles with nine of them yesterday. 
Um, the way I, I remember talking with Rondé Barber about three, four weeks ago, and he said it clicked. Uh, and Rondé's talked about this on TV. Others have said the same thing. The light bulb went on. Whatever metaphor, whatever analogy you want to use, Chris, that he began to be a different player. He began to figure it out. Things began to slow down a little bit. What do you see out of Vita Vea's play, and how can you relate in your rookie year or in your first couple of years on when it had to click for you? This is the NFL, speed of the game, all that. Well, I, mean, I think um, height, size, experience, I, mean, I, I, you know, I think he was really worthy of that first round draft pick. I think the the shock of the heat got to the young man when he got off the plane in Tampa, and uh, it, it can do that. And I, I think that that and, and, and his calf injury, and um, it's just, it's really hard for a rookie to, to overcome those obstacles, getting hurt in the, you know in the beginning of the season. But what I have seen out of this young man is I've seen progression. I've seen progression in his play. He knows what he's got to do. He knows what, what where he fills his role within the defense. And now we're starting to see the kid who all the Bucks fans want to see when they draft him in the first round. He's a big, powerful young man. And when the Bucks utilize him in the right way, then he's very productive. Um, I mean, I was never a great pass rusher. I was adequate. Um, I, I, you know, I really played off you know, hustle and effort. Um, I'm not saying he's the most refined pass rusher, but what I do see is that I do see him starting to introduce new things to his game, and he's being really successful in the system now. Well, and he is shedding blocks, and he's athletic. He can run. So I mean, there's Big some. Boy, man. Yes, and he and and you don't realize until and I get the privilege of being down there at field levels. I say all the time on this podcast, and you know this. I've been doing it for years. You don't realize how big everybody is, and then how fast these <laughs> big guys, including you, how fast these big guys, how quick they are for that size. So it's uh, it's something to behold, and we'll see if that continues. All right, I want to reminisce a little bit and have fun with the Buck fans. You came to this team uh, from Minnesota. I still remember this. So let's let's reminisce and have fun. The first regular season game you played with the Buccaneers was in the Metrodome, the old Metrodome in Minnesota. That's the first game that I was part of the game broadcast on the sideline. It ended up being a victory for the Bucks, a victory where Cadillac Williams, your teammate as a rookie, iced the game with a long touchdown run. In that game, a guy named Chris Hovan had a fumble recovery against his old team. I mean, the hair on the back of my neck standing up, and I didn't play in the game now that I'm asking you about it. When you reminisce to 2005 and that opening game against your old team, tell me some stories. Tell me more. Go ahead. Uh, well, I still wish I had hair on the back of my head to stand up <laughs> talking about it. Um, so, <laughs> now, you know, it's funny. It's funny how, um, how God works in mysterious ways. Um, he puts you in one place, and it doesn't work out, and you go to another, and uh, – it was it was it was it was really it was really cool going on memory lane. I've never really been in the uh, in the away locker room at the Metrodome, and I finally got up there. I'm like, wow, these guys are like really walk all the you know the ramp was higher than it was for the home team. So, um, but it was really cool to reminisce and go back down there and uh, yeah, uh, playing against my old teammates. A lot of a lot of those guys are really really uh, good friends of mine still, and uh, we you know we still talk about it, but. Um, it's just ironic sometimes how you know how life works out, but uh, yeah, we, we, we had a good time that day. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I still remember how loud it was in that Metrodome. Yeah, let's let's joke about this because the the Vikings always used to deny this, but I swear to everybody they were blasting crowd noise out of the speakers, Chris, in the Metrodome to make it even louder, where the Buck offense couldn't hear in that old building. I mean, it's loud enough anyway. It's loud in their new stadium in the U.S. Bank Stadium. It's loud in a lot of places. The Superdome, wherever 
wherever you play. But I, I still reminisce about that and, and a, a great win uh, for the Bucks that day and, and great to be around Chris Hovan. When you think back to your years playing with the Bucks, playing for John Gruden, uh, battling the way that you did uh, for six seasons in, in Tampa Bay, um, it, it, what do you reflect on? What do you think about? What do you enjoy the most? You know, I really reflected on playing um, in the defense that I always wanted to play in my whole career. Um, I came down in 2005, and the difference was in Minnesota, you know, I had to play 65, 70 snaps a game because, you know, Dante would throw the ball off to Randy, it'd be one play. And then that was it. And then we had to go back on the field. And, you know, it was really exhausting. I played, I played the majority of my career, majority of my injuries in Minnesota. And I remember coming down to Tampa and being in the meeting and, uh, you know, Monty being very uh, enthusiastic, as he always is. But the one thing you know, that I will always take away from that was do your job. And I remember being at me, I'm like, okay, all I have to do is like, you know, I have the A-gap and my nose tackle, I have the A-gap and maybe B-gap on pass. But these are the only two things I have to do. And I look to my left and it's Simeon. I look to my right, it's uh, Greg Spires and then Rondé Barber and Derek Brooks. And to be honest with you, that was the only time in my career I was ever intimidated um, because I was playing with, you know, guys who – are in the Hall of Fame or are going to be in the Hall of Fame. And the amount of respect and awe that I have for these guys is I watched them play for so many years. And then I was finally added to that equation. I don't have words for it. And that's why we were number one in defense in 2005, um, because you know, everybody just did their job. And it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was so relieving to know that, not knowing that I had to go out of my, my work description to do anything else I had to do. I just had to do what I had to do. So, um, Probably one of the best years I ever had in my career was in 2005. I, 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 I definitely cherish that. No doubt. Of course, Derek Brooks with the work ethic, Rondé Barber with the work ethic, seeing those guys in there at 6 a.m., even as veterans, uh, putting the extra work in. Great inspiration, too. Chris Hovan with me on the Nothing But Bucks podcast uh, here. We're catching up with him. I love reminiscing with former Buccaneers and what they're up to now. We'll, we'll get to that here in a couple of moments. I, I know the Buck fans right now are discouraged, but you played in a time where this team went to the playoffs a couple of times. Uh, we got to keep encouraging them, Chris. There, there will be good days ahead. It does come back around in cycles, but to have played on playoff teams, whether it be in Minnesota or here, you know, let's keep it with the Bucks or to play here for the Bucks in the playoffs, it's a great time to be a player, to be a fan, to be all of it. And here's hoping that we get to experience that again soon because you lived it, and, and it's an exciting time for a player. It's an exciting time for everybody to be talking about the postseason and playing in January, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, football is just like the stock market. It's all cyclical. And, you know, sometimes you're going to, you know, you're going to cash in. It's going to be a bear market. Sometimes it's going to be a bull market. Um, but at the same time, when you get that that core, that unit in that in that locker room, like like when I played here um, with Derek and Rondé and like Brian Kelly, a lot of guys that don't get a lot of credit. Um, but there was always that core in that locker room. And, you know, I think the Bucks are still searching for that. I think there's guys who want to be – there's a lot of guys who want to be leaders. But I think to be a leader, you really have to go out there and show by example. Uh, not a lot of the guys when I played here from 2005 to 2011 here, um, not real big like jaw, big smack talkers like when Taff was here. They just went out there and got the job done. And that's what I really respected um, about Derek and Rondé and, you know, I can go forward with Cadillac and so on and so forth. Um, but those guys went out there and they just went out there and did their job. And then we all had fun in the locker room after because we knew, you know, 
it's always I always tell my kids, you know, put the work in and you can always have fun. If you put the fun in before work, you're never going to succeed. And, and that's what, you know, Tampa did. And, you know, that's what John really implemented. Um, and I love John as a head coach. And, you know, he gets a lot of, a, a lot of slack from a lot of people. Um, but John Gruden was probably one of the best coaches next to Dennis Green that I ever played for. Um, I actually, I went out there and I wanted to play for John. And I, I, I just by nature, me playing hard, but uh, with that little extra oomph, because uh, I respected uh, Coach Green that much, um, that's why I played so hard and that's why I loved him so much. Yeah, those those meetings, those team meetings on Saturday night before a game or on Friday, oh, yeah. they're le- they're legendary, right, Chris? I mean, they never stopped uh, for like all the time he was here. They were legendary motivational moments, right? Right, and you, you would hope he wouldn't point you out. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, he's, he's talking smack about him. He's talking smack about him. He's going to save me. I didn't do anything wrong. But, we you know, and you know John. You know, if John wants to grill you, John will get in your, sure. you know what, and, uh, and, 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 and lay it to you straight. And Monty, by the way, was the same way. Monty would be the same way a lot of the time on Saturday night before a game or on Sunday in the locker room before the game. Uh, and, and that was and that was one of the other reasons why this defense was so highly motivated for a long time with Monty Kiffin there, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to play for Monty Kiffin? I mean, it's it is a defensive player's dream. Now, when Monty would get all excited, you really wouldn't understand what he was saying, and I would just like, <laughs> nod my head. And I would sit there and nod my head, and, be like, well, you know, and I'd, I'd leave the conversation, and like, you know, what did he just tell me? But you know, Monty would get so excited, and that was—I mean, that's just Monty. I mean, that's 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 the nature. And then you'd look at Coach football. Marinelli, if I can interject, and you'd say, "Okay, what am I supposed to do?" And Coach Rod Marinelli would tell you, who's now the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys, he would tell you, "Okay, this is what we got to do. This is what yeah. Monty means, right?" Yep. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, Rod would be the translator, and uh, <laughs> and you know, speak about and you know, I I I talk about this man, but. Um, Brian Marinelli drastically uh, changed my life. Um, I was at a standstill in my career coming down from Minnesota. I was offered two or three uh, by two or three different teams, and I took less money because my agent said you have to go play for this man. He's like, you know, and I fell out of sorts in Minnesota, and my agent bluntly um, told me he's like, if you want your career back, you need to go play for this man. And I said, well, it's less money. He's like, less money is going to be more money in the future. And so when I came down to Tampa, I never forget this meeting. And uh, you know, I tell this to my son. You know, I'm sitting there with Rod, just me and Rod, and Neil, one buck, right? So it smells. Um, there's air conditioning, you know. Cramped, sitting there cramped, no room. Right. Yep, yep. Right. Yeah. So everybody had to love everybody. So um, I remember he's, I'm sitting there talking to him, and uh, pretty much my interview. And he gave me a dictionary. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? He's like, I want you to pick the best word out of the dictionary. And I'm like, you know, cussing to myself. I'm like, dude, don't mess this up. Blah blah blah. And uh, I, 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 I came to a blank, and he, he went to the H's and, you know, went down, and he showed me, he's like, humble. And that moment will be, like, one of the most moments I, that, that changed my life. Because everything I've ever done up to that point didn't mean anything but being humble in everything you do. And, like, you know, I, obviously we, we followed each other on Facebook, and my daughter won the uh, MVP uh, for volleyball term this weekend. She's like, Daddy, I'm so good. I'm like, nope. I'm like, you're going to be humble about this whole thing. Because people want to always cheer for people who are humble, and they always respect that. So this staff, we talk about Gruden, we talk about everybody, uh, they had such an impact in my life, they will never never know. 
Love it. From Chris Hovan here on Nothing But Bucks. Uh, and I, I even hit like on Facebook as well uh, when your daughter uh, did well there in the volleyball tournament. I'm proud. I'm smiling uh, kind of the same way. And you and I, again, have similar age twin girls. I still remember this man because I was privately sharing the sonogram of twins with a couple of people. And you saw what I was doing. You came over in the locker room. You saw what I was doing. I don't know if you remember this. And you yeah. saw you saw the sonogram picture and knew it was twins and knew that you had twins. You picked me up, started bear hugging <laughs> me, and everybody's looking around. I'm like, listen, it's okay. I didn't do anything wrong. He's just excited. He's just excited that we both have twin girls. Hey, a fun one on that. As much fun as we have with jobs, with work, and you played at the highest level in the NFL. How cool is it to be a dad with your son, with your twins, with your little ones? What what has that been like? That part of your life been like, real quick, Chris. It's been up and down. I mean, just having, I mean, I, I never grew up with daughters, I mean, with uh, sisters. So you can imagine, you know, twin girls. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a whirlwind, just like, you know, the, the emotions in girls are a little, a little bit different than guys. And, uh, but you have to, you have to appreciate that. But I am thankful that they're all uh, healthy. And then, you know, being dad to dad, we can relate to that. Um, yep. so no matter, no matter what, no matter what comes at us. Um, in this world, as long as they're healthy, we can take care of everything else. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's a fun time of the year with the holidays and with all of that. Um, listen, it, it has been a treat to talk with you and reminisce with you here on the Nothing But Bucks podcast. I know that you are still doing coaching. If fans are wondering about this, Chris was uh, an assistant with the Tampa Bay Storm in the Arena Football League, was also uh, in and around USF's football program under Skip Holtz as well. Coaching is still in your blood. Uh, I know are you still working with Steinbrenner High School as well in Tampa. Coaching is still in the blood. We still got the juices going to coach. <laughs> coach is in the blood, but I'm actually part of the uh, Freedom Football League, uh, the new league that's coming out um, in 2019. Hopefully, we're going to launch it in the spring. And I'm one of the founding fathers. So, um, you know, coaching's still in there, but uh, to be able to be part of a new organization, such as this league that's coming up uh, with Ricky Williams and Terrell Owens and Dexter Jackson from the Bucks, actually, uh, is a true blessing, you know. So uh, whatever, whatever football knowledge I have left, hopefully I can, like, you know, convey it somehow. I love it. All right, good luck with all your endeavors. You know if I can help you, however I can help you, I will do that. Chris Hovan, it was a treat to catch up with you. Again, this man wore the pewter in red for six seasons, played 11 seasons in the NFL, still makes his home in the Tampa Bay area. Love me some Chris Hovan. Thank you for sharing some time with me. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to the Hovans. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you, brother. Again, special place for me with that guy. He and I both have twin daughters at about the same age. Love getting to reminisce with our former players. And there are bright days ahead, Buccaneer fans. Just hang in there. The only thing you can hope for now is finish out the season with a couple of wins and get ready for the offseason and whatever that brings and free agency and the draft the decisions to be made. But again, as I shared earlier in the show, when you're looking at teams like the Bears uh, with a drastic turnaround to a division championship or a couple of years ago, the Rams were, were arguably the worst team in the NFL and dramatically changed things around from one year to the next with a lot of these same existing talent. Let's see if that can be the case in 2019. That's still to come, though, on the big picture after two more games to go. Buccaneers will take on the Dallas Cowboys coming this Sunday. Cowboys smarting after their defeat in Indianapolis, shut out by the Colts. Dallas could have potentially clinched the NFC East with a victory and a loss by the Philadelphia Eagles. Instead, they lose. The Eagles win, speaking of the Rams, in L.A. on Sunday night. So the NFC East is still hanging out there on the fringe. The Cowboys 
Cowboys still looking at a playoff spot, two with another victory, at least a wild card, if not to go ahead and win the division. So that's what's on the line for them. Buccaneers will look to mess that up, traveling to Dallas uh, to play in Dallas for the second time in three years in a December matchup with Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and those Dallas Cowboys. So we'll have that coming for you this week at uh, noon with the pregame coverage on Buccaneers Radio and 1 o'clock Eastern time from AT&T Stadium in Arlington. As always, thanks to Steve Carney helping me out with the highlights and the interviews. Jeff Ryan with Buccaneers Radio. And again, however you found the Nothing But Bucks podcast, subscribe, why don't you, via iTunes, via Google Play, or wherever you find podcasts. Search for Nothing But Bucks. Again, whether you found us, and it's always there through the Buccaneers mobile app. You can go under audio and under podcasts and find Nothing But Bucks. Buccaneers.com as well if you found us through the website, through social media. Find the podcast, subscribe on iTunes, on Google Play. It's there on Mondays after these Buccaneer games. It comes to your device automatically, to your phone or to your iPad if you subscribe, and we encourage you to do so. So great stuff here uh, from Chris Hovan. Love talking to him, uh, reminiscing with him about the old days of the Bucs, and uh, and hopefully you enjoyed our, our recap. I know the result. We hope the result would be better in Baltimore, but the Bucs still played hard, played tough, just didn't get it done in the end. So in any event, that'll do it for this edition of Nothing But Bucks. I'm TJ Reeves. Buccaneers and Cowboys coming Sunday from Big D from Dallas. We're on the air at noon on Buccaneers Radio with Gene and Dave and I with the call starting at 1. And we'll be back next week for another edition of Nothing But Bucks.